Welcome to the Dildorks, dorky discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I've been selling a few nudes during a pandemic, which is not something I ever thought I'd say in my lifetime. But uh, here we are. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger and have occasionally been naked on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Nudity in a pandemic is a whole other ballgame. It just has a different, slightly different context to it. Just shifts it a little bit. Uh, but the reason we're talking about uh, nudes and online sex work is we have a very special guest with us today. She's a femdom. She's a stripper. She's a sex and kink educator. And she is a friend of the show, Andre Shakti. <laughs> Hi, Andre. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Yeah. And we've had you on before and we're thrilled to have you on again. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are on the internet. Sure. Um, and off the internet, so, I guess, too. <laughs> just on the, I'm like, all right, it's the internet show. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> my name is Andre Shakti. Uh, I am a 31-year-old, white, queer, kinky, non-monogamous uh, cisgender lady living in Baltimore, Maryland. And I am predominantly a sex worker, sex educator, and advice columnist. And I mean, we're going to talk about <laughs> lots of the ways in which my work has evolved and transitioned since COVID. Uh, but right now, I currently run a uh, twice-weekly sex ed webinar on Facebook Live called Let's Go Live with Andre Shakti. And every Tuesday... 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and Sunday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, I'm on Facebook Live talking about sex um, and discussing things like uh, sexual safety, um, sex and marginalized identities, and of course, sexual pleasure. And then I also run a virtual strip club called Sanctuary, which as the kids say, is a real hoot. And <laughs> that happens on Thursday and Saturday evenings from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and folks can find more information about that at sanctuarytheclub.com. And then finally, I have a weekly uh, advice column called I Am Polyamorous and So Can You. And I run that off of iampoly.net. There's no paywall, so you can go ahead and take a look. Uh, go ahead and send me your questions. Apply to be a guest columnist and regardless of whether it's me writing or another esteemed guest writing um, we cover all kinds of alternative relationships and questions about those kinds of relationships so that's that's my that's my game right now <laughs> <laughs> i love that so you poem. are everywhere <laughs> yeah i'm everywhere yeah I'm, I'm i'm literally everywhere which is kind of me before but just more physical interfacing <laughs> Cool. So uh, you're you're just like juggling a million projects, which I think both me and Bex find really relatable. Um, <laughs> and and like that's even true for you now. Like now that you've largely moved online, but like before all this started, can you take us through like what an average work week would look for you pre-pandemic? Sure. Um, so, <laughs> uh, in the life of a sex worker, I mean, I will just say in the life of like a self-employed freelancer. Um, you typically, you don't really have a typical week. Yeah, I feel um, that. But, but if I'm going to answer your question, play nice. Um, so <laughs> I would say two to three days a week, uh, you could find me in the strip club. Uh, I was working at my strip club here in Baltimore called Fantasies. It was real cute. Uh, I don't know if we're going to open up again. But um, so I was there three days a week, usually pulling uh, six to nine hour shifts. And then uh, I actually have a dungeon on my property that I built when I moved into my house. And so I saw on average three to six clients a week, um, typically out of my own space, but occasionally going to uh, other alcohols, um, hotel rooms and such for sessions. And my writing pretty much looked the same. I was here writing my column um, and... Yeah. Uh, did you just want the work week? Did you want like <laughs> the other stuff? Um, you know, I have like a zoo uh, that I run <laughs> in my house. Uh, we have 
four dogs, two cats, seven snakes, two large lizards, and some insects. And so they take up a lot of my time, especially the exotics. Um, <laughs> and I like to read. <laughs> I like long walks on the beach. Um, but yeah, it was just that I've, I've always been the kind of person where if I stick to one avenue of work or like one career path um i get bored and or burned out on it really easily and so i've always been um i've been self-employed since i was 18 years old uh and i've kind of always had two to three different jobs um you know running concurrently to one another in my life and Mm -hmm. it's it's how I'm happiest, you know, at, at all yeah. my worst days, I'm spread like thinner than a pancake. Right. But like <laughs> on the best days, um, I love that I get to wake up in the morning and see a client. And then, you know, like today, even like I'm seeing a client later today, today I woke up and did like work on my website. And mm. then, you know, I went to a protest and then I talked to you guys and <laughs> then I go see a client and then I have my sex ed webinar on fisting tonight. <laughs> so, um, Today's actually probably one of uh, one of the first days in recent memory where, like, I actually kind of feel like I did pre-COVID, um, but it won't <laughs> last. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Well, I think I, I and I wanted to speak to that because I think that's true for a lot of sex workers that they're jumping from different tasks to different tasks, and it has you know there's a really wide breadth of what that encompasses and what mm-hmm. sex work actually looks like on the day to day um and i also wanted to highlight how many of those things i mean we've talked a little bit about how you've pivoted a lot of that to online but so much of what you went through there are things that you can't really do now or at least not the way that you used to or at least, um, or sure have a lot more forethought than you do now um and Obviously, sex workers are not the only workers who are impacted by coronavirus and who are no longer able to do the jobs that they were doing. But I know a lot of folks and a lot of working class folks were able to lean on assistance from the government with these things. And <laughs> I know we've had this conversation away from a microphone, but uh, mm-hmm. for the for the podcast, uh, can you talk a little bit about the availability to those ki- kinds of things for free- for sex workers and other freelancers in the sex industry? Yeah, um, it's like zero. Uh, right. so, <laughs> yep, checks out. So um, our government, you know, in all of uh, its ample free time that it has not, you know, ending police brutality against black people uh, and trying to spiral us into recurring COVID situations on the daily. Um, it also took a minute to write a special clause into the application for um for small business loans that was made available by the uh is it like the small business like administration the sba um and so they made a a limited number of loans available um for you know small struggling businesses um and or individuals who are self-employed and uh first page of the application um it has a bunch of like administrative um bullet points for you to follow and then like snuck right in between them um it says that if you are engaged in or own uh what they refer to as um a prurient a business of a prurient sexual nature um that you are not eligible for relief from the government in this fashion and so it doesn't matter if you pay your taxes. It doesn't matter if the work that you do is completely legal. They took this time to write a clause explicitly excluding an entire demographic of people. And not only an entire demographic of people, we're not talking about a very privileged demographic that has lots of access already to affordable, non-discriminatory health care or housing or benefits, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about one of the most vulnerable demographics in our world. And, you know, disproportionately Black and Latinx, you know, disproportionately queer um, folks with disabilities who can't hold down these traditional nine to five jobs that we are, well, pre-COVID, we were forced into. Um, right. And mm-hmm. so you have all these, all these people that already have a lack of access to resources, um, who are experiencing probably for the first time in their lives, um, the sex industry taking a real hit mm-hmm. because 
if you had asked me more than four months ago whether or not I ever thought there would be something that could happen to our country, right? Like some traumatic event or some like monumental shift that would eradicate the sex industry. I would have told you no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because in my mind, you know, all that, all those old adages, right? That like the sex industry is like the oldest industry and it's always going to be around. And like the more they try and beat us down, the farther underground we're going to go and like, you know, build our own like special forces, <laughs> right? And like keep thriving. Um, mm-hmm. and I was wrong. Uh, I was super wrong. Um, I, uh, you know, a pandemic of this nature. It, all all of the industries really that um, that require as part of you know that transaction or that experience that that the very nature of the industry is to be physically in contact with someone else right so mm-hmm. like personal trainers massage therapists um, you know athletes right we're seeing like the NFL like uh, the NBA are still all shut down. Um, these are all other industries where um, the folks who work in those industries use their physical bodies um, to perform, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for money. And um, they are all the, they were all the first industries to, you know, for people to start collecting unemployment. They were all the first industries to go, you know, you can mm-hmm. kind of do personal training online-ish, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously you can do sex work online. But what then happens is you have all the people who are already doing those things. And then you have all the people who lost their other jobs in other industries who now are like, I'm at a total loss. I guess I'll like hoe on the internet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Kate, not saying you're (laughs) one of like those people, but you said in your intro, I never thought I would be doing this, but I'm like selling a few nudes on the internet. Oh, well, I should clarify. I I have sold nudes for many years. I never thought I would be selling them during a pandemic. Um, Got it. Got it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it makes total sense. And I've been thinking about sex workers a lot during this time because like we're seeing so many people talking about how they're feeling starved for touch. And it's Mm -hmm. like clearly like, you know, sex workers and their clients have known for a long time, like how essential these services are. And it's like, I Mm -hmm. think that that points to it even more clearly. Um, And it's it's just it's really unfortunate that you're not getting the support that you need. And it seems for the government, like it's so easy for the government to slip those clauses into things because I feel like it's so easy for people who are not a part of these industries to just, oh, the it's icky. The sex stuff is icky. We don't want to yeah. talk about it. We don't want to get into it. And they just slip it in there and no one wants to fight for it because no one wants to be the guy in the suit on the Senate floor saying, uh, sex is very important mm-hmm. because our yeah. culture doesn't create space for that and it's fucked up. It's just like, but here's the thing. It's like, we're supposed to have separation of church and state in this country. Mm -hmm. And when you make a moral bias, when you let a moral bias determine what sections of your population um, have access to these very necessary relief funds, Mm -hmm. that shows a clear uh, disregard for separation of church and state. And a government that just makes moral biases like that in ways that mean life or death for members of its populace should not be a government that is in control. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to also tell you guys right now, I filled that shit out and I got a small business loan. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. I'm going to tell you because when I read it, when I read it, of course I was furious. Of course I wrote about it. Of course I did like some podcast stuff, like for when it first came out, because I wanted to get the word out about this. But at the same time, I was like, there's no fucking way they're going to be able to vet everybody. How are they going to be able to vet everybody? So I think I just said I was like a writer or I said like I was a coach or something like that or an educator, which they're all true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I submitted it and, you know, I kept my, I, I, I used my legal name. I kept my work name out of it. But if you type Andre Shakti into Google, my legal name will come up very easily because I use the two interchangeably a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like a month after I submitted my application, I just got like, uh, $1,200 like deposited into my account from the FBA. And like, that Mm -hmm. was it. And so 
I was still encouraging people to apply even as sex workers because, you know, they don't have time to sit and vet all of these people. And um, so that's one of the bonuses. It's kind of one of the workarounds. I say, I know a lot of folks got deterred, but I've still been like, no, like apply. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. Like Mm -hmm. unless you admit to illegal activity and even so, um, you know, it's just Actually, don't just don't yeah. don't do that. First of all, <laughs> just don't do that, don't yeah. do that in yeah. in things you're going to send to the government. Pro yeah. tip. Yeah. Don't talk about but, the illegal shit yeah, you do. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, when I'm sitting on like my stacks of money, like like you know, cutting my lines of cocaine and like you know, <laughs> snorting it off like a prostitute's ass. Like I also would really like a loan. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, it's been not only just the federal government, but even local government. Like I am unable to apply for unemployment um, because I don't have proof of income. So, like, not only am I an independent contractor, so, like, yeah, I technically worked for the strip club that I, you know, dance in for a year and a half, but as a contractor, not as an employee. And so the strip club itself, it's been shut down the whole time. I don't even know that I would accept unemployment money from them, even if they were legally obligated to give it to me. But um, in addition to that, like, that's all work, basically, that I do under the table. You know, I pay... I file my taxes as a self-employed person and I claim a large percentage of it, but you know, I don't have paper receipts for uh, my my domination clients. <laughs> I don't have paper receipts for my like strip club tip outs and everything, you know? So um so yeah, a lot of independent contractors that were connected to like large corporations like Uber and Lyft, um, they are able to receive uh, financial assistance uh, via unemployment in the state of Maryland. I am not. So I literally have uh, my income the beginning of March, the first week of March, I lost 85% of my income. Um, and it wasn't until I like mourned for a week and picked myself up the, off of the floor and dusted myself off and started, you know, trying to turn my work into, you know, uh, into digital mediums, right? Instead, mm-hmm. create new digital channels of income um, that I was even able to like, temporarily (laughs) uh you know temporarily like pay my bills and stuff but Mm -hmm. um you know what's funny i think what a lot of people don't talk about with the sex industry and with sex work is that i've also been saving a lot of money at the same time Mm -hmm. because for people for women and or feminine folks you know folks that ideas femme in the world, uh, particularly for those of us who are in the entertainment industry in any regard, there's a lot of upkeep that is expected of us. <laughs> yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for the past three and a half months, I haven't gotten a single haircut. I mm-hmm. haven't gotten my nails done. I haven't gone to the tanning salon. I haven't, mm-hmm. like, I canceled my gym memberships at the start of COVID. So I haven't been paying, like, my pole studio or my, like, my Planet Fitness membership. So it's weird. It's like on one hand, I took like a the biggest financial hit of my life. On the other hand, I ended up pocketing money where I didn't anticipate being able to because I'm just like letting it all go over here. <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent. So that's interesting. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about what you said about... Um, I mean, you've talked a little bit about how you've transitioned those jobs into what you're doing online now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what the process was like, because there's a huge learning curve, I think, for all of us whose jobs have transitioned from in-person to online. Um, but what I'm curious if there is there are any like major adaptations you had to do to how you do your job, whether in sex education or in stripping online, which are both things that I think you're very used to doing in person. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I also first and foremost want to say that like even as a sex worker, even as mm-hmm. someone who just had most of their income taken away from them, I still am way more privileged than a lot of people in my community. Um you know, I'm white, I'm thin, uh, I'm a lady that some people find attractive. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm college educated, all of that nonsense. And that definitely impacts, you know, how successful even I've been able to be online. And Mm -hmm. I still would term my endeavors 
somewhere between minimally and moderately successful. <laughs> um, and, uh, but you know, for example, um, I did porn for about six and a half, seven years consistently. Mm -hmm. And because of that, because of that specific kind of sex work I did, I already had enough of an internet following that when I started rolling out like my new projects and my new initiatives, there was interest there. There was mm -hmm. interest there. There were people, you know, in the chat room for my very first webinar, there were people in the chat room for my very first virtual strip club. Um, and so, you know, for that, I'm immensely grateful. And I also want to make sure I'm, I'm calling that out at the beginning of any of these conversations. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, the strip club. So I've, I've done every single kind of sex work probably under the sun. I mean, I've done everything from, you know, uh, like full body sensual massage to like full service escorting services to like professional submission, professional domination, porn, fetish modeling, like dirty panty peddler, like literally like <laughs> if, if I've been, I've been a sex worker for 12 years. So like if, mm -hmm. if it's out there, I've probably tried it. And, um, I always really liked webcamming. I liked the webcamming interface, um, but the thing I didn't like the most was that I sat around the whole time and did nothing. Um, and by did nothing, yeah. I mean, like talk to people, fuck myself, talk to people, fuck myself, play on my phone, <laughs> pet the cat, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. And I'm a very like physically active person. So for me, my physical health and my mental health um, are very like intrinsically linked to me moving my body. That doesn't mean that I like have to like run marathons or like compete in like a weightlifting competition or something <laughs> like that. But like I just am, I, I love moving my body and being mm -hmm. sedentary is hard for me. So um, I loved webcamming. I love talking to folks. Uh, I love like being an exhibitionist, but I didn't mm -hmm. like the sitting and laying down part of it. Um, so when I created my virtual strip club, I wanted to create not only like um, a digital way of viewing home performances, right? But I also mm -hmm. wanted to make it kind of a strip club webcaming hybrid um, to really give folks that authentic feeling like they are at a strip club because, oh, look, I can talk to the dancers and mm. watch them. And like we sell POV lap dances and you can like buy us drinks and stuff like that. So there's a lot of like opportunities for engagement. It's not mm -hmm. just like watching a performer on the screen, you know, clapping at home and like sending them like a tip via Venmo. It's like you're yeah. the performers know you're there and we like are invested in you being in the room with us. And so I honestly think that I'm kind of mad that I didn't think to do this sooner, like before. <laughs> COVID because I'm like oh my god like I love stripping but I hate like driving 30 minutes to the club and then giving them a bunch of my money at the end of the night yeah. Um, yeah. and I love webcamming but I hate just sitting around so so that's kind of what I <laughs> created for myself and then the dancers mm -hmm. that work with me um, that are on my roster they all feel the same way they have the same um, loves about their jobs that I do. Um, they love the people just as much as like the performance. They love the physical activity just as much as the sexuality. So that's been really mm. cool. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I did a ton of work. I have to <laughs> like, once I figured out like, Hey, this is something that I think I could do. You know, I literally built a studio in my house. Um, it's, beautiful i have to leave it soon but like uh it's this huge room with like you know these like 700 dollars like i got them for free um these like really expensive like theater curtains and i have like a pole with a stage that i had built and like mirror walls and like you know professional lighting and i like built myself a studio and then i had to build myself a website and i had to hire like a custom illustrator to do custom illustrations and graphics for the website then I had to come up with like my mission statement and my pricing strategy and like the structure and how I wanted it to run. Um, I had to get real familiar with Zoom, which I think a lot of people <laughs> had to at the beginning of this, right? Regardless yeah. of the profession we're in. Um, but I had to get real familiar with Zoom. I had to learn a bunch about audio and sound sharing and um, you know mm -hmm. how to do that stuff uh, in the smoothest way possible. And um, um, you know, then I had to find people to dance that wanted to dance for me. And so that was a, a ton of work, you know, a ton of work where like I put out money at a time where I was like had no income and it was really scary to do so. Um, 
and now, you know, now it's, it's now I don't want to ever go back to <laughs> like, I, I probably will eventually go, go back to strip clubs if they reopen, if people go to them again. Mm-hmm. Um, just not anytime soon. And uh, yeah, I, I've discovered I really love working from my house. So that's been something that's been really kind of fun to lean into. Um, and then the webinar stuff is is easier for me. Um, the main thing I worry about is just not getting flagged by Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> right, so like which the, is the whole thing. Yeah. <sighs> the reason I wanted to have it on Facebook Live is because most people have a Facebook. And it's super, um, it's very accessible to people. They don't have to, like, purchase an Eventbrite ticket and, like, join Eventbrite and, like, create a guest login and then purchase the ticket and then have a percentage of it taken. And then, you know what I mean? And, like, it's just, like, here's the time every week. Here's, like, a list of topics. Um, Pick your topics that you want to go to and literally just click on my profile when you are ready to view my live stream right Mm -hmm. and so uh you know one downside to that is that i haven't really been able to control people tip or not it's unfortunate there are definitely folks who come in and my partner has been so wonderful and so supportive they're a non-sex worker but they've been like trying to help all of my businesses (laughs) as much as they can and um they're like my moderator in the chat room you know and so Mm -hmm. like i'll list I'll list, like, you know, this is a mandatory sliding scale donation stream. Like, here are the payment avenues. Haley's reminding everybody in the chat room. I'm mm-hmm. reminding folks every 20 minutes or so. And, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to see, like, 20, 30 people came in. And then I look at my phone and there's, like, 11 donations. Um, but yeah. I keep doing it because I do want to make it as simplistic as possible. And, um and I like it as a platform, you know, Instagram live, you have a time, it times you out after an hour. And I'm also just, also, frankly, I just joined Instagram at the beginning of March <laughs> for the first time. Um, it finally yeah. got me. And I have a much bigger following on Facebook, ironically. I think I'm like, have the largest following of any sex worker I know on Facebook. <laughs> and so like, it actually ends up working for me. But I've done, you know, Beck's especially yeah. you're familiar with like my past work like I've done like online sex ed courses through other companies before um I've just never done everything by myself you know and that mm-hmm. requires also a lot of a lot of like branding and marketing and you know new class I'm coming up with new classes um mm-hmm. some of which I actually can't teach this is a challenge um I talked at next. I talked to you about this lately. Uh, I yeah. teach erotic asphyxiation classes, mm-hmm. and I was really going back and forth on whether I wanted to offer that on a digital platform because, of course, you have folks that are just coming in anytime, so they're like missing the safety information, then yeah. coming in for the the practical mm-hmm. skills, right? Um, and I'm not there like to do like demo like demos like face to face with people, and there's just something missing. And I, I did offer one at like an even more one-on-one level than I normally do. And I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to do it again, just because I think same thing with like some of my more like extreme kink uh, classes. I just don't, I think there's a lot of important stuff around like harm reduction and risk awareness that's mm-hmm. lost uh, through like a digital, you know, teaching digitally. And so yeah. that's been a, an interesting development that I have had to like cast a new eye like a new sensitive eye on all of my classes mm-hmm. yeah yeah I've been uh moderating a lot of the classes that Tess is running on uh online during this and it's definitely a very different feel in the online class and I've attended a, cu- a couple of classes other educators have done too and it's just like I love that I'm getting access to so many educators that are not local to us and I'm getting to mm-hmm. hear from so many different people and see so mm-hmm. many different topics but there really is something very different about learning in an online class in a way that I didn't expect oh I have a huge you know what's really what's really hard for me um mm-hmm. is that the lack of engagement Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. not being able to see people's faces like so with my strip club, um, I give people an option of turning their video on zoom 
uh, on or off, depending on their comfort level, as long as everyone's appropriate. And so a lot of times, like, I can see the faces of the people that I'm performing for, just like I'm in a real strip club. And again, because I love that connection, that means a lot, that that part of my work means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And with the sex ed webinars, you can't read a room. You have no idea who is in your room in terms of like age, background, sexual orientation, gender identity, race. You have no idea um, how many people have you on as background noise and how many people have you on as something they're like actively invested in engaging with. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like a lag oftentimes Mm -hmm. on the videos. So like sometimes I'll forget and I like will think I left enough you know, room for questions, but like I did it. And then like questions will start coming in like a minute or two later. And I'm like, shit, shit, shit. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I actually, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have a hard time, like not taking it personally. Yeah. The yeah. lack of engagement. Like I, I'm used to like all my classes are built to be um, very, you know, a mix of lecture and group discussion. And so I have lots of points in my, you know, in my curricula where, it's just like ask audience questions, gain audience expertise, like, you mm-hmm. know, vet audience, like beliefs and opinions, like shared experiences, etc. And no one wants to do that online. Like I, yeah. I always have like two or three diehards who are like always in my webinars who like will type and like will answer me when I talk to them. But, you know, there are some nights I have 20 people in a room and I'm asking, can anybody please post an emoji, any emoji (laughs) in the room just to let me know they can see me and hear me. And I have to say it five times for five minutes before someone finally is like, emoji, we hear you fine. And like, it's hard for me to not throw my iPad across the room, you know, like it's really hard. And so that's been, you know, that's been really difficult um, for me because I don't like being the only voice in the room. I don't like just hearing myself talk for (laughs) hours on end, you know, and uh, I think I get like way more self-conscious about like my content when I'm not receiving that feedback, whether like it's facial expressions and body language or whether it's like verbal feedback. So that's that's actually difficult. Because I was so... Yeah, when I'm teaching, I find I you have those touchstone people in the audience, right? The people who nod along with you, or mm-hmm. like you can see them getting it. It's just something behind their eyes, you know? And and not having that, even, I haven't taught, but even just in the, like, I've moderated a couple of discussions and everything, and even just knowing the people I'm, like, jumping between, I can't see all of their faces, and I don't mm-hmm. know who's thinking of what and it it's disorienting even in like a space i'm generally fairly confident i'm like uh uh hey guys <laughs> yeah it's real i've like never felt more insecure as an educator than i yeah. do like like teaching on on online platforms but you know what i will say um i will say that you know people on the other end of like you know the spectrum right that mm. people have been very forgiving online in terms of um you know if there's technical difficulties like there have been a few times where like my computer just decided to close facebook and throw me back to my homepage (laughs) for no reason and kill the live stream you know in the middle of it and you know by the time i get back on like folks are all like no worries take your time like we get (laughs) it you know we're here and that's that's been really nice because obviously you know when you're working with the internet there's so many things out of your control you can lose your wi-fi right like Mm -hmm. like, like a tower can go down somewhere um in the beginning zoom was a really difficult platform to utilize because they weren't prepared for the numbers um, of people who were going to jump on so like prime time like friday saturday nights and stuff you had uh Zoom Zoom would slow down so bad that everything would be like heavily pixelated for like an hour, you know, mm-hmm. or it would just like stop and start, stop and start like worldwide because they, they hadn't they hadn't figured it out yet. Right. So I think in that regard, you know, I think in the beginning I, I was like, everything needs to be perfect. And like, I need to start on time every time. And I need to like 
you know, do the same intro every time to keep everything like, you know, everything in line, like all my copy and my introductions in line. Mm -hmm. And I need to like, you know, this is when I take an intermission and like, this is when like that I do the Q and a and like now, <laughs> however we can like, Welcome we are trying our best. <laughs> yes. 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 Like, this is what yeah, we've got. Yeah. Like independent <laughs> business. Support yeah. Us. We don't know what we're doing. Everyone's online now. I'm glad I'm not a boomer. Uh, like all that stuff. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about audience reactions um, and like engagement with regards to the strip club because that's like mm. a whole different kettle of fish. And like, I'm sure that there are lots <laughs> of people who are like um, strip club in person customers who are now moving to uh, watching strippers online. And like, apart from what you've already said and what's fairly common sense, like tip, tip well, you know, um, if your camera's on, be engaged. Uh, I was wondering if you have any tips for folks wanting to be good online strip club customers. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, even easier now, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, because mostly our issues at the club have to do with, like, unwanted touching and, like, sexual harassment. So, uh, yeah, when you don't have to actually be physically near somebody, it um, if that is a large concern of yours or that is something that, you know, as a, as a sex worker, as a stripper, that you um, have had to deal with intensely for, for a long time... Um, it can feel like a huge relief, you know, it can feel like a huge weight off your shoulders. And it, it doesn't really have anything to do necessarily with whether or not you enjoy talking to people. It's like, I enjoy talking to people very much. I don't enjoy talking to people when they're violating my consent. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so in that way, you know, that's one of the reasons I actually loved webcamming when I started like eight years ago, nine years ago, is because I was like, oh, I've only like stripped until this point, And this is so great. It's like stripping without like anyone being able to touch you. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just like we love seeing your faces. A lot of people think like, I think a lot of folks think that it's like rude to turn their video on. Um, now, I will say that there are a few virtual strip clubs out there right now. And that mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that different virtual strip clubs have different uh, rules of engagement, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'll speak from my experience and for my strip club. But I love, we all love when people turn their videos on. Um, we love couples. We love, like, when couples do date nights with us. Um, we love, yeah, we love, like, engagement, interaction. You know, we, we turn everyone's audio off, but they can still, we can see them if they have their video on and they can type to us in the chat. And mm -hmm. it's, it's so much more rewarding to get done with your dance and then look at the screen and see, like, you know, 10 people, like, applauding or, like, cheering or even, like, making out with each other um, <laughs> than to, like, look at the screen and have it be, like, a bunch of black squares, right? Uh -huh. um, so the more engagement, the better. Um, it's okay if you want to put us on as background noise, but keep in mind, if we're on as background noise, it probably means you aren't tipping us. So <laughs> please don't do the thing where you just, like, buy the $5 entry and come in just to watch and assume that you are watching a $5 show rather mm. than um, paying for entry to a strip club. I think that's also, um, I don't even think people who do that always necessarily have bad intentions. I think that with all the plethora of like burlesque and variety shows and drag shows that are also happening online right now, um, mm -hmm. I think there, again, are, like, different rules of engagement for those kinds of things. So I think folks are just trying to feel out um, the differences, you know? Like, how do I mm -hmm. act when I go into this virtual space? How do I act when I go into this virtual space? Instead of being in one mindset and then just interacting with all virtual spaces from that one that one place, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, engagement, tip us, even if it's, like, five bucks a dance, you know? Like, you don't have to... We love if you have money, but also we are a uh, very openly queer strip club. Um, almost all of our dancers are LGBTQ. Um, half of our dancers are trans or non-binary. Um, over half of our dancers are black. Um, we have a lot of people of size and like fat folks that are like working the pole. Um, and so, you know, we obviously, because of that, draw like a marginalized audience as mm -hmm. well. And I would, like last night we had we had like 10 people in there um and 
I would say no one tipped more than like five or ten bucks like a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made like okay money and we didn't have a ton of people, but they were all queers last night. Aww. And all mm-hmm. the dancers were queer. And Aww. we just had a fucking blast because we just felt like we were performing for our people. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. many of my dancers will text me afterwards and be like, I was having a really terrible day until I did this. Or like, Mm -hmm. I have been so depressed and this is like helping me survive right now. So again, engagement, tipping. um, If you are LGBTQ, you are marginalized. um, You, you know, say that you want to support sex workers. You say you want to support fat and black and brown and trans sex workers. Like, put your money where your mouth is. Like, come on in. It's only five bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise, you know, we let folks uh, request songs. So they can request their own music, which is cute. Mm-hmm. So people can come in with, like, some song requests and, like, see their favorite dancers dance to their music. And, you know, again, we can do POV lap dances, which are really fun. People get really creative <laughs> about how they're going to do them. Uh, and... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like it's it's more difficult to, like, it's more difficult for me to tell you, like, how to act than it is for me to tell you how not to act. Right. You right. know, like, if we were, yeah. it, it really is less, there's really less thought that you have to put into it um, than going into, like, a brick and mortar strip club. Mm-hmm. Um And that's also, like, I had a few folks write reviews recently for me, and, like, one of them was this queer femme, and she was like, I hate going, I love strippers, and I hate going to strip clubs because Mm -hmm. I hate being the only queer person there, the only, like, fat person there, the only, like, femme person there. It's, like, Mm -hmm. so gross to me, and um, it doesn't feel safe. And, like, this is a way that you can support strippers if you are pro-stripper but anti-strip club, (laughs) which I totally understand, you know, being, like, a vulnerable part of our community. Um, This is a totally chill way for you to, like, dip your toe in, finally. So, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, like, I I feel like I know so many people, especially women and queers, who are like, I would really love to go to a strip club, but I'm terrified. Like, they've never been mm-hmm. because it's, it's really scary. It's like a bunch yeah. of bros in there, depending on which club you go to. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also, especially, like, for people who have social anxiety or just general anxiety about, like, protocol, like, what the correct thing to do in any given situation may be. Like, it's a, it's a pretty unique environment as far as, like, nightlife places you could go. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't know mm-hmm. the rules when I first went. I had to have, you know a helpful friend explained to me what the correct thing to do was. But I think like this is such a great opportunity for folks with anxiety or folks with marginalizations or both to try Mm -hmm. this out so that like hopefully when stuff reopens, they can give it another shot in person if they want to. I I think I want to, oh, real quick. I also want to actually promote a resource Mm -hmm. for folks. Um, If Mm -hmm. there are people out there, queer or otherwise, who are listening to the podcast and they do kind of desperately want like a tutorial guide on like (laughs) how to be in a strip club or like how Mm -hmm. to act in a strip club. There is a wonderful um, artist and activist and comedian named Jack the Stripper. um, Mm -hmm. And that's J-A-C-Q the Stripper. And she actually published, uh, self-published a strip club manual that is for sale on Amazon. So if you go on Amazon, um, obviously Amazon sucks, but like you are sending money to sex workers. So like (laughs) cut the difference. Um, But if you go uh, to Amazon and you type in Jack the Stripper or you type in strip club handbook, um, it's one of the first things to come up. And it's a it's a great resource if you have the money uh, and you want to, again, support sex workers like I highly recommend it. So. I love that because you've, I mean, you've both been to strip clubs with me, but I still (laughs) am the person who is like, I have done this many times. Remind (laughs) me the rules. (laughs) Wait, wait, didn't I take you like last August? Didn't you go to your first New York City strip club with me, even though you've been living in New York and I do not live in New York? I was like, yes, we're going to go to the strip club. Bex is like, oh, I've never been to one in New York. And I'm like, you live here. How, that, well, how that's that more. 
That's more of a strip clubs are a, like, treat when I have money to spend, yeah, yeah. which usually also coincides with a vacation, mm-hmm. or I go to a city that I know has a great strip club, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to be back in this city anytime soon, <laughs> um, which is not a thing that I worry about as much at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I still very much, and and I know uh, etiquette can change from city to city. So that's another mm-hmm. part of why, mm-hmm. like every time I go to a new strip club, they're usually all in different cities. And I'm like, shit, what do I do here? <laughs> yeah, because there's so much, like each club has their own dress code requirements. They have mm-hmm. their own security requirements. They have their own, um, you know, some of them have really like, shitty misogynist rules uh around entry where they actually won't let women in um or they won't let women in unless you're accompanied by a man because they're convinced that women like won't spend money in there and couldn't come in as like patrons they just would come in i i have no fucking idea i mean (laughs) whatever i actually had like straight women in strip clubs actually kind of pissed me off but uh that's a topic (laughs) for another day uh, and, um, you know, they all have different lap dance and private dance regulations, you know, about like physical contact with the dancers. Um, you know, there's so much, you're right. And like, it is really smart. Again, if we ever do see like brick and mortar strip clubs, you know, rise up to their former <laughs> glory, so to speak. Um, I always recommend, I tell people do independent research on the specific strip club you are going to before you go because the worst like the worst feeling in the world is like you get all dressed up and you get all hyped up right you pregame and you like (laughs) get to the strip club and like you can't get in for some reason or Mm -hmm. you you know thought that one like set of dancers was dancing and you were excited for them but turns out they haven't updated their schedule online in like three weeks and it's like Mm. no one you're excited about you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so um yeah do your research yeah and that well speaking of uh if and when strip clubs start reopening that kind of brings us to um my last question which I feel like a lot of us, towards the beginning of this, we were thinking about it as, so when this is over and everything turns back on like a light switch Mm -hmm. and we all go back to normal, uh, and now three months down the line, I think we've realized that is not going to be the case. Uh, And we're not all, like, it's not just going to stop one day and we're not all going to go back and it's going to be like this for a minute, which is leaving a lot of us to kind of assess our own move to a more harm reduction standpoint and we talked about this a little Mm -hmm. bit when kevin liz were on the show uh last week or two weeks ago at this point uh unclear but um and and what that looks like and how we're all kind of trying to navigate and decide our own (laughs) risks we're comfortable taking to Mm -hmm. maintain a life like in an environment like this and i'm I personally always love turning to sex workers for this kind of harm reduction because y'all are pros at it. I mean, you were talking earlier about how uh, sports and television and acting are not really able to come back together because they rely on people being in the same places. And every time I'm hearing that on the news, I'm like, hey, call some porn performers. <laughs> they, like, right? you know, we, we they have at least a little bit of experience working around yeah, this. Like, they might, might have some advice. <laughs> Um, but no one's thinking to turn to that because our society's fucked up. But I'm curious, um, as someone who has had to think about these things, what are some things uh, you would recommend folks keep in mind while they're trying to make those decisions moving forward? Well, and I almost I almost jumped on my 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 platform soap off with you all before <laughs> we started recording, and then I very literally was like, no, I'm saving this for <laughs> So here it is. Yes. Um, so I actually, uh, I have a bone to pick with a lot of the sex worker community right now because um, there are a lot of elitists in the sex worker community, um, people with like lots of privilege, um, you know, either folks who are very, you know, have all the privilege and like their work, uh, their income is like based off of their privilege entirely and or Um, They have, like, another well-paying job in addition to uh, the sex work that they perform, and so they don't have to depend on it for, like, all of their income or et cetera, et cetera. People that think that they're on their high horse and who are going around the internet, Twitter, Instagram, um, kind of threatening other sex workers about working right now, about seeing clients. And, you know, 
I didn't see clients for the first month and a half, two months of COVID. And that was really hard. Um, that was really, really hard. I mean, it, it was and it wasn't, right? I didn't want to, a lot of my clients are older men um, with like pre-existing health conditions and with families. And I didn't want to like potentially, you know, either put myself at risk because at the time I was also living here with two like disabled and or immunocompromised people in my house. So mm -hmm. I was like very, you know, I wanted to keep their safety and well-being in the forefront of my mind. And I also care a lot about my clients as a pro-dom. And, um, I didn't, I didn't want them to risk themselves unnecessarily. So I was actually kind of shocked that I was still getting so many appointment requests from people during this time, yeah. but I, I did shut down and I saw all this, I just have kept seeing all this rhetoric online about how, if you're a sex worker and you're still doing sex work right now, how like, um, irresponsible you are and how you don't give a fuck about like mankind and like you're part of the problem and like just overt shaming and it's like overnight we forgot about survival work mm -hmm. or like the concept of survival work right like overnight we forgot that there already were hundreds of thousands to millions of people out there performing sex work under risky ass conditions conditions that were risky for them conditions that were risky for the clients they were seeing right mm -hmm. um and you take on those risks and you measure those risks you do a risk assessment right on right. yourself and you measure those risks and the potential impact of those risks and then you make the best informed decision and for many people they will happily take risks as opposed to starving they will mm -hmm. happily take risks as opposed to losing the roof over their head you know or like their kids going hungry so it just pisses. It just pisses me off. Um, it just pisses me off, and uh, you know, I'm currently going through a a, a bit of a personal crisis. <laughs> um, I I don't know when this will air, um, but I am unfortunately in a bit of a domestic violence situation right now, where I'm I am fighting to uh, keep the house that I currently live in, and it's looking increasingly like I'm going to be able to, unable to do that, and it's just like a really big traumatic period in my life um and i'm fucking performing survival work right now i saw a client yesterday um or two days ago i don't even know what days are anymore i saw a client yesterday or two days ago i'm seeing a client tonight and you know i'm being as safe as i can under the circumstances um i've heard that people uh are talking about doing no contact temperature checks at the door um to Scan for fevers, although I don't have a non-contact temperature taking device, so I guess I could, should probably invest in one of those. Um, but you know, I have I, I thoroughly clean and sterilize um, my dungeon space before and after every client. Um, I keep gloves on um, most of the time. Um, sometimes I will ask the person to wear a mask. Sometimes I won't because doing so might actually make whatever activities we're uh, we are engaging in riskier by doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I have hand sanitizer, huge, like Costco hand sanitizer, like pumps in there. <laughs> and like, I make everybody like sanitize their hands multiple times during the session. And I make sure that I'm not touching my face at all. Like when I'm working and then I jump in the shower in my bathroom, like right afterwards and like take a shower and then like clean like the bathroom door handles and stuff like that so you know like i'm doing what i can but i need fucking money because if i don't yeah. have money i am going i'm gonna be fucked in like a month and a half um i need to find another place to live and i need to raise money to do that and so you know if anyone tries to come at me about seeing clients right now it's it, <laughs> I'm not the one. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not the one. Like, and I, I, you know, I encourage everybody and advocate for everybody to do what they are comfortable doing. And I reserve judgment for most people. Now, I don't reserve judgment for people that are out there on the New Jersey beaches right now, <laughs> uh, or like at the, you know, the Maryland shoreline, um, mm -hmm. or holding concerts, or going back into crowded restaurants. We just had our. Um, uh, our restaurants opened back up uh, yesterday at 5 p.m., Friday at 5 p.m. for limited seating, which isn't being enforced. Um, 
you know, but I'm never going to judge a sex worker for doing what they have to do to, to, to save themselves, to put food on the table, to provide for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, strip clubs are reopening in certain parts of the country. They're talking about no contact. They're talking about, you know, cleaning the after every dancer. They're talking about not offering private dances. I think, honestly, um, if strip clubs were smart, they would right now be transitioning their clubs into peep shows um, mm-hmm. instead of strip clubs. Because peep show models would absolutely work way better under and within a pandemic than a stereotypical strip club. There are lots of important <laughs> distancing uh, rules in peep <laughs> shows that um, that help protect all parties involved. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know what it's like. Strip clubs definitely feel a lot scarier to me than mm-hmm. seeing, like, single clients in my own controlled space. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, I, I could ask that clients, you know, I, I do have a COVID statement in my, like, in my details that I send to people. And it, it mm-hmm. tells folks, it tells folks if they're immunocompromised that I don't, um, I don't recommend that they utilize my services. It says that, you know, I am not immunocompromised, that I have not been on a plane since January, that, like, I have been quarantining, um, but also people can lie to you very easily. Yeah. They can be like, oh, yeah, I haven't been going to work for like three months now i haven't seen another person and like meanwhile they're having barbecues like with all their neighbors in their backyard you know Mm -hmm. i don't know but i do know as someone with uh that's very able-bodied that does not have any pre-existing health conditions i know that if i do get covid i am extremely unlikely to fall even seriously ill let alone like be hospitalized uh by it so Mm -hmm. i'm taking that risk right now and, mm. you know, I, I, again, I advocate for every, every sex worker that's put in a similar position to do what's best for them and not listen to what other people think is best for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, no, I like absolutely agree. And I also think, um, to pivot slightly on that, I think mm-hmm. a lot of poly folks are also in a place right now where mm-hmm. they're, trying to figure out what this looks like on seeing, like, I, I'm solo poly. I don't live with any of my partners or like, Mm -hmm. you know, many of them live with other people. Like it's, and we're trying to figure out how do we see our people and how do we still stay connected to community? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And the people around us and juggling that. And I think a lot of what you talked about there is also helpful on a smaller scale for just assessing things like how do we see each other? Like for Mm -hmm. me, I'm starting to um, plan visits with people and see, okay, well, how can I put two weeks of social distancing between my visits, right? How can I, yeah. Um, And how can I see people, you know, how can I get to people with the lowest risk to both myself and the people that I'm seeing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, I'm balancing two trips back to back, but it means I don't have to get on a public bus, you know? So, playing, you know, looking at where you can mitigate risk while mm-hmm. also recognizing that we can't really be at abstinence only anymore. Like, that you can't sustain zero forever. Yeah. And for the length of time that we're going to need to for to, to deal with this or that looking ahead that it looks like. Yeah, I also feel, um, you know, I I just haven't had a good few years. <laughs> and, um, you know, I used to be extremely actively poly. I used to have two to three, like, serious partnerships running parallel to one another in my life. I used to have, like, you know, comets or, like, longer distance partnerships, like, five, six, seven folks across the country that I would visit at all the conferences I used to fly to. Oh, and, my God. Um, I don't remember conferences. <laughs> and, you know, for the past year and a half, um, my life has changed a lot. My personal life has changed a lot. And I have been much less active. Um, and, you know, like, Bex, you're one of my people. Like, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, you're one of my Hi, uh, we're both like do we talk about this do we say this on the yeah. show we say this on the show yeah, yeah sure. um <laughs> okay, you know cool. and then i have a partner uh my partner brian that's like out in yeah. california um and so i i feel lucky from that standpoint that that hasn't that hasn't been something i've had to worry about because my my 
primary person, um, my like main squeeze, uh, <laughs> we've been quarantined together. So, you know, I'm here with them. I haven't had the same kind of isolation experience that Bex, I know you have had um, yeah. these past few months. And I feel really grateful for that. And also really grateful that, yeah, as a poly person, I don't currently have to navigate um, all of these different, like, how am I going to see all these local people to me while mitigating risk? Um, but at the same time, I think that non-monogamous folks are also really uniquely poised to deal with this because we're really great at, most of us have been doing, you know, really intentional, like, risk assessments on ourselves in terms of sexual safety. Mm-hmm. Um within our non-monogamous circles for a long time um these are not conversations that are like super new to us they're just kind of in a new context and we already again i like to say that i don't believe that non-monogamy is superior to monogamy or vice versa but one thing you have to have um in non-monogamy in order for it to be successful are uh you know pretty savvy communication skills and so i think that like we can, in terms of the non-monogamous community, I feel like this is a challenge that we can rise to because we are uniquely positioned to do so just by the nature of the relationships that we sustain, you know? Yeah, um, we've flexed those muscles. We've had those conversations yeah. before. Um, and now we're just applying new knowledge to them, or at least hopefully exactly. people are. <laughs> yeah, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> Andre, thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, you've shared so many brilliant insights here, and um, it's really amazing watching how you've transitioned to online work. Um, where can people find you online right now? Sure. So I'm kind of everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm at Andre Shakti on Twitter. I am at Andre underscore Shakti on Instagram. I'm Andre Shakti on Facebook. <laughs> And again, you can find out about my educational endeavors. Um, you can see a full calendar of events and you can read the I am polyamorous and so can you advice column via my website at iampoly.net. And then if you want to go ahead and join the Sanctuary Virtual Strip Club fun um, on an upcoming Tharsday or Saturday night, you can go to sanctuarytheclub.com. You can see uh, our mission statement. You can grab tickets to an upcoming show. You can see schedules of dancers, um, dancer profiles, all of that good stuff. And then I do currently have a GoFundMe running. Um, I am, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, in an emergency housing situation where I need to raise a goal amount in order to survive it. And uh, I appreciate every single dollar that is donated. No donation is too small. If you can't donate, I appreciate sharing it in your networks far and wide. Um, I'm so grateful for the response that my community has already had to me. Um, My campaign's been up for three, four days now, and we've raised a little over half of my goal. And so if you have something to spare, um, thank you in advance. And if not, that's cool. There's a lot of turmoil happening in this country right now, and everybody should be taking care of themselves. So, thank you. Yeah, we did want to talk about that um, before we go because it would be incredibly weird not to discuss what's going on right now. Uh, As you hopefully already know, there are a lot of protests going on right now in response to recent deaths of black folks at the hands of police, like those of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Tony McDade in Tallahassee, or Regis Korczynski Paquette, where I am in Toronto, as well as the ongoing problem of racist police violence and systemic racism in general. We wanted to take a moment to say that we stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and its participants. The queer and trans community owes so much to Black folks, and it's worth remembering at this time and always that many of our rights as LGBTQ folks were won by rioting in the streets the way people are doing right now. I know a lot of you out there are probably struggling financially right now, and I get it, but if you have some extra money to throw around, here are the websites of some organizations to consider donating to. MinnesotaFreedomFund.org, BrooklynBailFund.org, NorthStarHealthCollective.org, BlackLivesMatter.com, and BlackLivesMatter.ca. Stay safe out there if you can, friends. I have been Kate Sloan. Uh don't really feel like listing my shit today. You know, just not the right vibe. Uh, I don't know if you want to, but, but you are. I, 
I'm back. I'm on the internet. Y'all know where I am. Yeah, we're the Dildorks. Um, thanks to Protodome theme song. Thanks to Amy logo. You know the deal. Um, and thank you so much to you for listening and to our incredible guest Andre Shakti. Until next time, folks. Stay the fuck home if you can and live your sexy dorky life. Bye. 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 It's good to see your faces, Kate. I haven't yeah. seen you in like forever. Yeah. So yeah, how are you, how are you doing, Kate? I know Bex is doing because I talked to Bex. Like fuck Bex, whatever. Like, yeah, like important. fuck that guy. He does stuff. I don't know. He's fine. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm with my partner here in Toronto, um, and I was like working from home anyway, so it like hasn't been that disruptive to me. Um, just been working on. I just submitted uh, edits for my book the other day. Um, and now I get to kind of relax for a while. Congratulations. It's a huge deal. Thank you. Yeah, it was really exciting. I was a little bit sad because they made me cut the chapter on auto fellatio, but I replaced it with one about nudity. So I think it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, we can handle a lot of things. (laughs) Was there anything you were surprised they kept? Oh, I mean... Yeah, I I was surprised by the the lack of notes on things that I thought were pretty out there. Like they didn't say anything about hypnosis. They didn't say anything about face fucking, including like using the word face fucking. Um, Interesting. Yeah, they yeah. wrote on they wrote on figging. They were like, "Is this one a little weak?" And it kind of implied like <laughs> that they thought it implied to me at least that they thought that people don't really do this or that this is like really uncommon or something. And I was like, "No, like people definitely do this." I yeah. know some people yeah. have done it. Yeah. Like, no, oh, no, promise so cool. you it's a thing. Yeah. That's so fucking cool. I'm so excited. I can't wait until it comes out. Yeah, I, know, thank I can't you. Wait, wait to recommend it to literally everyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness.